as you open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 42. In many ways, the message that you will hear this morning is a kind of review of the first and second message that we had in this series, but a good reminder as I reviewed its contents for this day in which we are going to celebrate the baptism of another covenant child. Hopefully, in terms of that review, it'll be good for all our families to hear. As you've already heard this morning in the prayers for a number of our families, what am I thrilled, so I am thrilled about is how many families are speaking about the situation of raising their children in the scriptures, in the scriptures. So, so important. And that they want that as a great prayer request and that that be part of their home. Well, we, we will review that this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Listen carefully to the holy infallible word of God. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now once again over to First Timothy, Second Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue 
and what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask by thy spirit today that we get it. We understand. We understand how the Bible is to be read concerning its message. And how this is to take root in the very steps which we walk. We ask, O Lord, for your direction, for your abidance in us. In Christ's name, amen. In the last two messages, we have addressed the apologetic side of defending the scriptures as the true revelation of the sole creator of heaven and earth. First of all, we investigated that the term inspiration actually means in the literal Greek text of 2 Timothy 3.16, God breathed. God spirited. Every word in the entire Bible is the breathed out words of God. And secondly, last Lord's Day, we noted that we can absolutely know, well, know that the Bible is the true word of God by virtue of the objective defense, that is, the Bible is the word of God because it says, it claims to be the word of God. And that is verified by the God who is truth himself. Moreover, there is also the subjective defense that I personally I am persuaded and the only way that I am persuaded that the Bible is the true word of God is by the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. This is seen in chapter 1, sections 4 and 5 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now let us return more specifically to the flow of the text in our message here this morning, in terms of the flow of Paul's discussion with Timothy, we are looking more carefully this morning at verse 15. In this letter to Timothy, 
Paul has been reestablishing his apostleship. He has been reestablishing that apostleship since Timothy has been entertaining some doubts in light of Paul's imprisonment. Timothy was losing sight of the fact that of Paul's instruction concerning the costs, the costs of the gospel. Because the costs of the gospel included long-suffering, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, sufferings. Verses 10 through 12. Timothy must grasp that as Paul and the other apostles are about to die, the suffering condition of God's people will continue. It is going to continue until Christ himself returns. In this period, the period between the departure of the apostles and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the questions to be addressed to for Timothy and for us is this. How are we going to make it through this period? How are we going to make it in our lives right now? How are we going to persevere? For Timothy, Paul says to him that he must continue in the things that he has learned from him, Paul. And he must continue in the things that he has learned from his childhood from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And what was the textbook used by Paul? What was the textbook used by his mother and his grandmother for his learning and instruction? It was the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. Now, as we continue in our series, what was the content? What was the content? What was the substance? What was the focus of that instruction? Whether it came from Paul or whether it came from Eunice and Lois. The answer is quite simple. Salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Here is the simple message of the entire Bible. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This message, this message, and this message alone transcends transcends our earthly journey and makes each of you secure against the suffering and the persecution of this world. Don't miss the personal note here to Timothy. Paul knows the reality of this truth even in his own life. For it is this message found only in God's word that preserves Paul through his own 
his own suffering, his own suffering and imprisonment. Now I ask you this morning, do you understand this simple message? Does it make a difference in your life? How do you read the Bible? Is reading the Bible a burden in your life? Okay, I have this allotted time for devotions. I will read the Bible today and then it's done. Is family worship a duty? Or is it motivated by a sincere desire to truly learn and live in God's word? Is personal devotions duty? Or are they motivated by a sincere desire to listen and live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Is family worship and devotions a negotiation game with God? Lord, we keep up our end of the deal today, so now it's your turn. Now remember, God, these are my needs and these are the things I want. Is it not sadly true that many of us have our own list of negotiations with the Lord. We all know how our corrupt natures barter and deal in terms of our own selfishness. Oh, congregation, how hard it is for us to embrace the words of Christ's prayer and instruction for our prayers. Is it not? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will we not come to God's word, whether in family worship or in personal devotions, with hearts that beat before his word and say, Thy will be done. Thy will be done as we sit and learn of thee. And may what we learn be expressed in living faith. Now, how am I going to do that? (laughs) How am I going to do that? Congregation, if you are reading your Bible through your own subjective and personal lenses, In other words, you read the Bible as if the central topic of the Bible is you and God. Or that you are looking for the Bible Bible to be just about you. Then you will never really grasp the full message of the Bible. Nor will you ever truly live out of the power, the power of the text of the Bible. Could it be, sadly, 
that most professing Christians read the Bible as if it is about them and God. Every word goes through and it is focused upon their own personal life and experience. Let's go in another direction. Are you reading your Bible through your own theological lenses? That is, you must sift every verse through some particular theological topic, meaning you must fit it into a certain doctrinal construct. If you do, then you will never have a real understanding of how God writes about doctrine. Why do you think that so many people in the church are seduced to use biblical language by every wind and doctrine that comes along? Why is it that people in the church cannot discern between the true teaching of Scripture and the false teaching that is found in the Word of God? The biblical answer to these questions is very simple. The answer is simply this. People in the church get caught up by the various false doctrines and false teachers because they do not understand the Bible in the way that it was intended to be read and understood. Please keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. This is the simple answer. But Christians will try to make such an answer very complex by injecting the suspicious element of skepticism. Yes, here comes the classic response when you challenge, when you challenge someone about their reading and understanding of Scripture. Their response is this, how do you know Your reading and your understanding of the Bible is right. Such a question brings into the discussion the subtle skepticism that no one, no one really knows how the Bible is to be read and understood. So how do you know that you got it right? Are you God? Are you God? Your reading and understanding is only your opinion. But others have their opinion. So how do you know your opinion is right? When people bring this skeptical element into the discussion, they want to claim that no one, no one can possibly know the real truth about reading and understanding of a given text. But in most cases, it is a facade. It is a facade to justify one's subjective view of the biblical text and shape the text into one's own existence, one's own environment. Let me give you a good example of this. After teaching so many years Bible in a Christian high school, if I would make judgments 
upon a lifestyle or something else in the classroom. I would periodically get their hand risen, a hand risen in the class and actually say to you, you shouldn't judge. And of course they quote Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not lest you be judged. I'd always then respond to them. So you don't make any judgments, huh? Why do you choose that person to be your friend and not that person to be your friend? Why did you choose that person to be your boyfriend and not that boy? Why did you choose that person to be your girlfriend and not that girl? Why do you say hi to that person but you ignore those other people in the hallway? Everybody makes judgments. In fact, the scripture tells us. Matter of fact, in the same context, Jesus tells you don't cast your pearls before swine. Ask you to be discerning. Very discerning. Concerning your choices in life. You see, such a person following this kind of skeptical way has either rejected the Bible as the true word of God, although, or again, they are justifying their own subjective personal grid concerning how they read the Bible, usually not in accord with the creeds of orthodoxy or the history of orthodox interpretation of the biblical text. In reality, they have become their own religious authority, and no one will tell them any different. Congregation, do not, do not bring this skeptical element to the Word of God. That is, that you doubt that anyone, including yourself, can have a true reading and understanding of the meaning of the word of God. That is a satanic lie. You can definitely know the truth taught in Scripture. And it definitely sets you and others free. In fact, it must set us free. Can you not hear Paul's concern here with Timothy ringing in your own ears this morning? Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 13. For example, when my daughter was in graduate school, she told me about an incident in her Latin class. The class assignment was translating from the Latin Vulgate the entire book of Jonah. As they met for class, her professor asked the question, why do you think that Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish? 
My daughter said that as she looked around the class, she noted that nobody raised their hands. So she said to herself, okay, I'm going to give the redemptive historical answer that the Bible gives. By the way, what is the answer that the Bible gives? What are you saying to yourself right now in your own mind? Do you know the Bible? Hint, it comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. The reason that Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days is because it is a sign pointing to the death and resurrection of Christ. This was the answer that my daughter offered to the professor. His response, his response, no, that's a later That is a later time. That is a later interpretation. So the professor asked the class once again, why was Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days? His answer, because the water was so deep that it took three days for the fish to come to the top of the water. Now, I'm not a marine biologist. (laughs) In spite of my famous skateboard video. (laughs) But that is a lie. Rather, the simple understanding which the Bible gives comes from our own Lord's mouth. Why was Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days? Because it was a sign that Christ would be in the belly of the earth for three days and be resurrected. Congregation, do you see it? The story of Jonah in the belly of the fish is about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.15 Let me ask you. Let me ask you. When you first read or heard the story of Jonah in the belly of the fish, Did you read the story in the same way that Jesus tells the story? Parents, have you told the story to your children? How have you presented it? Is Jesus the interpreter of the story? Or is it some kind of moral platitude? A number of years ago, I was talking to a like-minded OP elder. By the way, in terms of this congregation, (laughs) he is an engineer. He was an engineer, still is. (laughs) 
And we were speaking about our concerns over the divisive tone that was presently had existed in the OPC over how to interpret the Bible and how this has shown itself in various circles of the OPC. As this elder was presenting his own analysis of the state of affairs in our denomination, he decided to share with me his own personal pilgrimage in the Reformed faith. He spoke about how he moved from a very personal, experiential, and pietistic reading of the Bible to a redemptive historical reading of the Bible. What caused this transition for him? He said that at the time he was sitting under the ministry of now retired pastor Reverend Larry Simmel, our OP minister in Morgantown, West Virginia. And Reverend Simmel made this simple statement in a sermon that fell like a brick on this particular man's heart. Just read the Bible in the manner that it was intended to be read. I do not put this experience of this elder before you this morning because it proves the case for a redemptive historical understanding of reading the Bible. Remember, personal experience authenticates absolutely nothing. Rather, the purpose of this example is the simple response by Reverend Simmel. Just read the Bible in the manner it was intended to be read. The reason that Simmel's understanding has credence and has credibility is because it describes exactly what we're talking about and looking at here in verse 15b of our text. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise, wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That is how the Bible is intended to be read and understood. Everything, and I mean every story, is to be read in the Bible in order to make you wise. Wise. Through faith in Christ. So, once again, for all of us, How do you think that Eunice and Lois read the Bible in educating Timothy? Do you think the first question they asked Timothy as they studied the Bible was this, how do you feel about the text, Timothy? What moral Is it teaching for you to do? Do you think the meaning of the text is a shared collection of different interpretations of a group as God conveys a personal revelation to or from each person? Congregation, if you do, then do not be puzzled 
as to why so many so-called Christians are following every wind and doctrine, running after so many teachers, so many so-called proclaimed gurus with so little reading and understanding of the power of the gospel of Christ from the biblical text. Congregation, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that such a subjective interpretation was not, was not the method of interpretation taught by Eunice and Lois to Timothy. Look at the text. If you are truly penetrating what Paul is saying, then I think there is a simple directive. The question at Eunice and Lois Bible study would go something like this. How does the text of Scripture, the particular text that is being studied and read, present, present, the gospel of salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the question you ask when you read the Bible. Now, do you want the practical question? Can't you hear Eunice and Lois Can you not hear their voice enter into the text? Do you hear it? Timothy, Timothy, oh, our dear son Timothy, do you believe? Do you believe in the truth of the gospel as it is taught in the text? Activity and living the the gospel comes out of faith, congregation. Comes out of faith. Don't turn the Bible into just moral platitudes. If you turn the Bible into just moral platitudes, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. That when your children grow up, they decide to follow the moral platitudes of the culture. Don't be surprised. Faith. The object of faith is Christ. Ask them. Ask yourself, what is the text saying concerning what I am to believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation? This is how you read the Bible in the way it was intended to be read. That is how you understand 
the Bible in the way it was intended to be understood. The message, the message is simple. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about salvation in Christ. It is on every page, and you, you, as a believer, are required to find it and grasp it in your life. And not only must you find it, but you must have faith in that message which will propel you into living, living by faith. Listen carefully. Instruction in the biblical message of salvation in Christ is never delivered without the earnest plea of faith. When you instruct one in the message, you are instructing them to believe, to believe the message in the Bible. Message and faith. Got that? Message and faith embrace each other. Otherwise, the teaching and instruction of Scripture is powerless in your life. Let's pray for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, we are weak, we are fragile, we are sinners. We tend to only look unto ourselves. But the religion that is from Genesis to Revelation is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We ask, O Lord, your help. Help us with our families. Help us in terms of ourselves. Help us in terms of our church here. That the focus of our lives would be upon reading the scriptures and seeing, embracing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may our faith be visible in the manner in which we walk. O Spirit of the living God, ignite this in our hearts and in our work. Walk through the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name as our great mediator. Amen.